made a damn well Hello. good decision. I hope you're pleased with yourselves. Hello. Well, hello and welcome to the very first episode of this brand new podcast, Could Have Made Some Real Art, with me, your host, Pretentious Dross, Liverpool's art house queen, masher of lips, prancer of stages and self-proclaimed art PhD wanker. In today's episode, we'll be talking about drag, queer art, politics and whatever else we damn well feel like, darling. I'll be chatting with two very, very special guests about what they've been up to in this, the final season of Human Civilization. We'll be dropping some names, playing some games and finding out what makes these two gorgeous queens tick. So, joining us on this maiden voyage is my first special guest who I'm so very happy to welcome a local legend on the Liverpool queer scene, the absolute disgrace, who is sometimes called Majik Bardo. How's it going, girl? Hi! Hiya, you all right? <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Thank you for having me. I hate this whole, well, I don't hate, but the Liverpool legend thing started coming about because my friend was in charge of the marketing, one of the gigs I was doing. said Liverpool legend just because she knew it pissed me off. And then every other fucking arts organisation or event thing just is like, Liverpool legend. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> claim it. Claim it. Yeah, it's yours. I have to. I have to claim it. <laughs> uh, and also joining us, a woman of many talents, the shapeshifter herself, Donna Trump. How's tricks? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, very well. Lovely to have you. Shapeshifter. I sound like Mystique from X-Men. Oh, Start with that beautiful physique. <laughs> <laughs> you could paint yourself blue sometime, maybe. Mm, that, that's true. That should be on the list. Mm -hmm. Just to kick us off, lovely people, have you two queens met before? Uh, the first time we met was fucking last week at Jimbo's Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the first time we met in person. Um, mm -hmm. But I'd been very familiar with the world of Tammy slash Majit for a long, long time. Um, and I've admired from a great, great distance, just in case she hits me. <laughs> <laughs> I performed at the Queriosity online cabaret thing as well, didn't I? I think. Yes, she did. She did. Oh, I loved Queriosity. Uh, thanks for putting that together, Donna. What a beautiful show. Oh, do you know what? It was a labour of love. I tell you that right now. It was one of the most stressful experiences of my life, but it was wonderful. And I felt like it, if I hadn't have done it, I, I felt like I would never have achieved something in that short space of time. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about about what Curiosity was, kind of where it started, and what you ended up doing with it? Yeah. Um, so Curiosity started off as a weekly club night. Um, like Club Cabaret Night, which um, uh, started off in Manchester. And every week there would be me and a host of resident, resident performers that would rotate. As well as some special guests now and again. And every week would be a brand new show. So it would be challenging artists to create new work or um, and something maybe that they've not usually done. And, and we put it in like a basement club setting. Um, and it was about kind of bringing, because Manchester as a scene does have like a lot of like drag and cabaret stuff going on, but it felt like there was some, there was something really missing in kind of like trying to push boundaries mm -hmm. instead of um, everyone doing the sound of music over and over and over again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which there is nothing wrong with Rogers and Hammerstein. I'm absolutely fine with that. Um, so it started off there and then unfortunately the club got taken over by new owners. Um, and I like curiosity was the only night that wasn't carried on. And um, when the new owners came in and I asked them why they weren't interested and what I was told was that it wasn't marketable enough and, um, it didn't bring the demographic in that they were desiring. And I was a bit like, okay, so you're a venue within the gay village of Manchester and you don't want the queer community to come in. 
how how ridiculous is that? We shan't mention we shan't mention said venues. <laughs> oh no um, no 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 no! <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that that seems totally ridiculous to me. That that if you that you're kind of you're you're curating a show of of of, of work which kind of pushes pushes boundaries in some way and and actually is filling a gap. Um, mm-hmm. In relation to what, like the the other fabulous queens and kings and drag creatures of Manchester are doing, and that they mm-hmm. and that they wouldn't want that. That's just so bizarre. That was the thing. It was it was really really bizarre, and I was quite I was quite pleased with how the show was developing and evolving. I was really proud of the resident lineup because mm-hmm. in the whole kind of time of that the time that I've lived in Manchester for eight years. I've never known um, a resident show team to have a drag king on their lineup. Mm. And I've also, um, I was also quite uh, pleased to have um, two trans performers as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And also the majority of the team were women, Mm. um, which is something that I was, I, I absolutely um, 100% behind because I feel like, queer scenes are constantly dominated by cisgendered white men a lot of the time mm-hmm. um and i feel like it's really really important because as performers within a drag aesthetic or um, a drag culture our job is to amplify the voices of the unheard because we make such a spectacle of ourselves that's how i've always thought about it mm. um and it was it was it was really sad when the venue didn't want to carry it on and um and then lovely miss rona hit didn't it she she came she came came and she swept everyone away not in the best way Mm. um and then obviously there was a resurgence of like online shows going on and um i just really wanted to kind of set my eyes on a project so i decided to uh so for the first what first edition of the online show i decided to put it together in six days (laughs) wow (laughs) With a line of forty-five performers. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Honestly, I think back at it, and I'm like, how did I not have an aneurysm? Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, Tammy, you've uh, you've been involved in in a, in the lots of uh, digital things as well, haven't you? What have you been up to? Oh Jesus! I don't, it was just everywhere. Everyone just went digital. It was a bit chaotic, really, and I thought mm-hmm. it was interesting because. Um, I think all of these arts organizations that say that they don't have any money, then when lockdown happened, they suddenly were like, I'm going to just throw this money out everywhere and you all can have it and just make us something so that we stay relevant for fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I ended up doing. (laughs) Yeah, it was ridiculous. I did stuff with Heart of Glass. I'm still doing stuff with Heart of Glass. I did Mm -hmm. stuff with Scotty. The thing I did with Scotty was like, oh my God. So there's... I was doing, I was running out of stuff to think, like, it was really hard to be creative during lockdown. I don't know how everyone else felt about it, but mm-hmm. like, it was just really difficult to think of new things when, <clears throat> especially when like all the days were just the fucking same, except for the news being chaotic. Mm-hmm. So I, and I didn't want to make something, I didn't want to make loads of stuff about COVID because everyone was, and like, it was just a bit, like, there's only so many kind of lip syncs with hand sanitizer I couldn't bear. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. And then also people like making like um what's it called? Like um relation to um can you take that thing off your mat uh off your yeah. mouth, please? Oh Valentina. Take yeah. that. I was just like Yeah. Oh, that was enough. Like, we all thought it the second it happened. We all thought it. We, like you didn't all have to do it as well, for fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> T- tell us a little bit more about the work that you did with Scotty then, Midgey. What, what did you go so, to? So the thing with Scotty happened because uh, I applied for Eat because they did this amazing call out where it was like, you don't have to make anything too specific, but like, I know what our organisation can hand out a bit of money. Mm-hmm. So I applied for one and got it, which was really exciting. And I ended up, I wanted to do like, because it was the same time as Tiger King was going mad everywhere and everyone was obsessed with Tiger King. And I was living in a house of seven queers. So I was like, well, this would make a fucking amazing documentary bullshit. Because <laughs> we were just being ridiculous. And, um, and so I was thinking of making a kind of mockumentary documentary thing. But then I just 
was I was just racking my brain about what it would be about and how all the and then realizing that just because these people are queer doesn't mean they're good at performing. So I didn't <laughs> I didn't have much faith in them being able to help me out with what I needed to do. And I ended up filming myself. I was getting really frustrated. I filmed um myself just talking about this frustration of having to make stuff in lockdown, of having to trying to find inspiration in the shittest places and like staring at a wall and being like, maybe the way that paint is crumbling is interesting. I don't fucking know. Yeah. And going on this rant and then eventually, and it really was completely um, ad-libbed. I ended up just kind of crying about how many people had died and how no one's really talking about that and how mm. like we're not really thinking about funerals and all of this stuff. But because I've, and I watched it back and I was like, oh god that is something weird and very vulnerable and like i don't know how necessary like a white woman's tears are right now mm-hmm. um, and so i pasted i put inside the video i put, kind of pasted over old video footage that i'd done uh, actually for the eat me apocalypse edition um where i just was talking bullshit to the camera and really shit drag. And I kind of put that over my face whilst I was crying and like just had that visual of me mm. looking at a stupid clown and then crying about death. <laughs> and um, yeah. I just enjoyed that just juxta, 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 you know, that juxt. We know, we know the position. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so that was something that I was quite proud of and the lineup for that was incredible as well mm-hmm. yeah i've been really fucking fortunate in this i don't know what's happened i don't know why a global pandemic needed to happen for my career to skyrocket but so be it you know maybe she's doing she's doing that. the thing i am hey you know like for some, when i got when Trump came into power in the US, I started getting more job offers. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> are you secretly financing that that uh, that presidential campaign? <laughs> Hell to the no! <laughs> <laughs> that bastard could go and burn. <laughs> Can I ask Donna how? When? When did you get? When did you? When did you become Donna? What was when? Like. What was Trump's trajectory? What was Trump's position when you became Donald Trump? Honestly, lots of people think it is because of him, and it's not. The name actually doesn't have, like, it never had kind of like anything to do with him. Um, I'm originally from Birmingham, so if you were to say the words "done a Trump," uh, like Trump means fart, so it's a fart joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the thing, and then, and loads of people think it's because of Donald, and I'm like, okay, I can, <laughs> okay, I'll go with this. And then he became more evil and more evil, and I'm like, I've basically like adopted the equivalent of Hitler in a drag name, <laughs> <laughs> but also a beautiful, beautiful combination of that and like a really, really silly fart joke. It's just, just perfect. <laughs> Well, that, that, that's the thing. And, and when I tell, it's really funny. When I work with a lot of American artists, yeah. sometimes they like are really apprehensive to talk to me. Mm. And it's because they think I'm a Trump supporter. And I'm, I'm like, well. no, no way am I like in like trying to support him or trying to uplift his platform. Hell no. I, I would try uh-huh. and like eradicate that fucking beast. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's it's really funny and then when i tell them that what that trump means far in some areas of the uk yeah they just absolutely piss themselves because they're like that is the best way to describe it mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> i was going to ask you both as well lockdown has been this strange strange creature of kind of like learning about ourselves and about our own work that we make and then also i've i've discovered some amazing artists and kind of been pushed into like networks of people that i would not have otherwise discovered and i wondered if uh, both of you had any and who have you discovered during lockdown mm. Mm. oh my god I, I I have a really... <laughs> Go on. I, well, I don't know if it's necessarily discovered, but I've definitely um, become really close friends with people I wasn't expecting 
during lockdown like I think lockdown for me kind of really uh slimlined my friendship group or the kinds of people because you had to socialize by video and it's sure. like it's in, in, intimate that's a bit more intimate than sitting in a pub with your mates and multiple mm. people it's a bit like what it's, it's very one-on-one if it's if it's like that yeah and I think like that kind of meant that a lot of people who I would normally see around we weren't really comfortable doing one-on-one video chats but then I started just kind of yeah just meeting other fr- like new friends by mm. that which I wasn't expecting like um the night bus who is a drag queen and is fantastic and me and her and she's done stuff for eat me and preach a few times mm. me and her ended up kind of just and I don't really I don't really know how that started to be honest I think we both were just really stoned and we're just like oh, this, and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, we've become really close I can't but I don't know in terms of discovering mm things i think i've been find a bit overwhelmed by how much I, I i've become quite resentful of people who are like which is ridiculous because i'm making loads of stuff but like when i see people who are like i've just made this, i'm doing a drag day for every day or something like fucking charity case who's amazing <laughs> like charity's great no, mm. like we get it. You're amazing. Like, have a day off. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I suppose that that was going to be my 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 other question as well. Um, to both of you is like, so like that that idea of like, have a fucking day off, girl. You're allowed. Like, how have you been kind of like looking looking after yourselves, and what kind of things have you been doing just for you to kind of like give yourself a little bit of that joy back? You know, like while we've all been stuck inside. Oh, that's been that's been hard. Mm. That has been hard. Like for me, I think before, like pre-COVID, PC, um, I was I felt like I was just constantly working, mm-hmm. um, and like I was very very blessed to have that, and I've been very blessed to have like um, such a good trajectory of my career, mm. and um, a lot of people will always make comments to me going oh you're always working you're always doing this you're always doing that and I'm like that's how I like to be and then when COVID hit it was like everything just stopped Mm. and I really had to try and come to like get to grips with kind of like okay you have you don't know when this is going to finish you don't know what to do and Mm. you have you have nothing to do and I was just like oh shit um and it was a big for me it was really like at times it was really difficult because it made me think a lot more about my life and the connections like like um Majit just said was like it made you kind of look at the connections that you had with people and what they really meant and mm-hmm. I think within our line of work we end up um having connections through work um and they can be two types they can be um emotionally connected and actually have a compassion compassion towards each other Mm. and then sometimes it can fall into a place of transaction um transactions so it's like a very transactional conversation kind of like i'll do this for you but what do i get from you i don't think any i don't think i don't think most artists would say that that's how they mean to come across i think some do um but that was kind of a time for me to kind of reflect on things and it was really interesting to see who actually checked in on each other and who didn't Mm -hmm. um especially when you could see that people were kind of like having a difficult time or suffering or being quite silent Mm um and i suppose everyone had like different ways of dealing with it but yeah absolutely it's just, and that these and everyone's way of de- of dealing because we've kind of gone through this kind of like collective collective trauma and and that, yeah that everybody's different ways of kind of dealing with that are absolutely valid but i, I completely hear what you're saying around this idea that, that the way in which kind of like drag had kind of become this kind of like transaction based kind of economy model <laughs> do you know what i mean like um, yeah and and I I, to- I totally and it just made, I kind of clocked it when you were saying like that how 
it does kind of often feel, especially when you're kind of like building networks and kind of, and you're, and you're getting the gigs to, and then mm. it is very much in this kind of like, it, it feels sometimes feels like an economy rather than a community. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely something that we should be, be talking about probably more than we do. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, myself and the, some of the other guys from, from, from Eat Me um, have just um, been interviewed by um, Bidolito, which is a, like, a, like a, a, an independent um, paper in, in Liverpool, kind of culture and arts paper. And we're uh, um, alongside um, Beers for Queers, Liverpool Queer Commun- um, Collective and Sonic Youther talking about kind of... Um, what lockdown and the pandemic has taught have taught us about kind of uh, about um queer resilience and community and actually I yeah. think the idea of re- resilience and community both of those things are so so important for us to be thinking about and actually putting into to action in meaningful ways right now um mm-hmm. i don't know if you've got any thoughts on that um Midgey. um yeah i think i i feel i feel the same in terms of like death I mean, for instance, I I also have a very transactional kind of attitude towards things because I think as uh, essentially we're all, if you're fortunate enough in one way, self-employed as artists. Mm. And so mm. that means that everything kind of becomes like, if you, you get a random Facebook friend request and I look at the people they're friends with and I go, who are you and are you any, of any use to me? Are you going to get me work kind of thing? And that's been happening during lockdown a bit more, I think. Mm. Mm-hmm. and I've kind of had to stop myself to be like at the end of the day that might be what's going to happen but also this person is a person and might also just want to get to know me and be nice and they, I, I might want to get to know them mm-hmm. and I might start questioning checking myself on that but um, in terms of queer resilience and stuff I guess I have this kind of um, strange tethering relationship with the queer community and a disabled community. Mm. My intersection and also because of, I don't feel like I could, I've, I've never felt fully at home in one or the other. So I've mm-hmm. started actively mm-hmm. finding um, queer disabled people and they're kind of a tribe of people that, they are resilient. Like, I'm not saying that queer people aren't, of course, I'm not saying that just disabled people aren't, but there's something about queer disabled resilience where it's like, we've been planning this for this, like all of our lives. And like, mm-hmm. we've kind of had to constantly with the DWP or with the AIDS crisis or with the trans rights, like <clears throat> the Trans Rights Act and all of these things that are intersectional with also being disabled and having this constant attack on our bodies. It's been kind of um, that they're kind. Of, they're also the people that I've actually been connecting with, and like I'm collaborating with Natalia Budkowska, who's an amazing queer crip artist, and we're gonna kind of, and and just yeah. So I think lockdown's kind of helped me identify those people and what that kind of resilience is. I'm not in, like I've I've kind of been in a state of. I, I, I'm outraged by what is going on in the world, mm. but I'm prioritising myself and my rest the whole time it's happening so that I can actually be there for the people who need it. And I don't really spend a lot of my energy doing... When, so when Boris will announce another terrible thing or when there's another video being spread around from the Black Lives Matter movement, I kind yeah. of switch off from social media because it's not actually doing anything a lot of the time. It's just a lot of people going, this is ridiculous. Look at this. Oh my God, again, da, da, da. And it's like, we know mm. what you do about it. Mm. And also that what you doing this and spending that energy is taking energy from someone else and is taking energy from yourself and not actually producing anything. And so I've kind of like my, my coping mechanism in lockdown. And I don't know if this is, like it's therapy and TikTok. Like it's just. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, absolutely right though. In like in terms of that self care and like self care is fucking radical and beautiful. Um and yeah and the and that is the thing that will that that will that will take us through that that will keep us going. I think. Um, 
and that's kind of what I was getting at, I guess, I suppose, and like, how have you been, what, what have you been mechanisms? What have you been doing to kind of like look after yourself to give yourself that bit of joy and therapy and TikTok? <laughs> sounds, sounds great to me. <laughs> it's, it's fucking great. The, the younger generation are literally like doing it. They're the best. Yeah. Mm. Just, the younger mm-hmm. generation or the old people of TikTok are just changing the world. Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and it's just, I think what this lockdown has done for a lot of people, because I know quite a few people who have had kind of um, a lot of thoughts about their own gender and whether they're mm. cis or they're trans or whether they're non-binary and that kind of thing. And I myself has had a bit of a journey as well of like my dwarf identity and kind of prioritising that over my disabled identity at the moment. Mm. And, um, and I think that's kind of taught people how, what self-care really is because there's not like this huge capitalism pig shoved in your face every 30 seconds when you're walking around or like, I don't know, the way people are, the way TV is now, it's kind of quite different. Everyone's just streaming and doing that a lot more because mm-hmm. they've got so much time on their hands. They're not just watching daytime television in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting to see people who wouldn't be normally talking about capitalism and self-care and things like that they're starting to yeah well, they've got they've got space to and and like you say there isn't this great big kind of capitalism monster kind of like looming well it's still looming but not quite as visibly <laughs> you know and 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 then and and, and that that we have with people are suddenly finding space to care about themselves in a way that they're not feeling pressured by and manipulated by these other things i think that that is definitely one of the positives that have come out of this situation is that people have suddenly found the space to actually live and do what that they are wanting to do not what they feel manipulated into wanting to do if you know what i mean definitely i think the one thing i was really hoping for and it didn't happen but i was really excited when lockdown was being lifted and people were being asked to go back to work. I was really hoping that no one would go. Mm. I, I obviously am coming from a place of privilege and of that ability because those people maybe were essentially, I would argue, those all everyone who's currently working are being forced to. Mm. And whether that's social, societal things, or whether that's financial things, or whatever. Um, and so there, there is this kind of. But then I guess there's this weird thing of there's been potential for people to be able to self-reflect and learn more about themselves and care more about themselves in a healthy way. But the echo chambers are like fucking bigger than ever. And just now, and everyone's got, it's like a niche, 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 niche in every single way, whether that's from the right, whether that's from the left, whether that's from the center. Mm. So like there is this strange, hot pot of just uh political chaos yeah i mean i don't know if you've if you've seen it as well donna but the the i watched uh yesterday on netflix the social dilemma i haven't had a chance to see it yet ah but honestly that is i mean what what you're saying there midgy about um about this kind of like polarization and echo chamber situation which is going worse and worse and worse you have to watch that documentary if you haven't seen it like i, I was like mm-hmm. on my apps like immediately on my phone going like turn off notifications turn off notifications <laughs> do i need that app anymore no i don't it's competing for my time the only thing i kept was instagram because because i'm a, because i'm addicted <laughs> and i use it for work um but yeah yeah it's um it's interesting I've not seen that documentary and I, I know like I know it's evil, I know social media is terrible, but I fucking love it and I'm addicted to it and I just like I accepted that along the second social media became a thing, I started using it and I was like, Oh fuck, this is something I love and I knew I'd love it. And I've deleted Facebook app from my phone. However, I do just open the browser and go on there instead. Mm-hmm. But um but the notifications have stopped, which is helpful um because a lot of the stuff i do on facebook is like quite political sometimes it's either political or stupid and i can't decide between either but i like that though yeah i I like it as well but like i think when it's political sometimes like yesterday i shared this post about um how people have, have found like in quotes a cure for dwarfism and it's like eradicating dwarves which is like fucking eugenics awful and very upsetting oh god I shared that and just made a little thing to raise a bit of awareness. And obviously, like, then 
someone messaged me who used to be a, be a teaching assistant of mine when I was really young and she had me on Facebook and she's lovely, she's really sound, but she obviously was like quite affected by this post and was just sent me this huge message, which I was like, I'm not fucking reading that. I'm, don't you see that I'm tired? Like this is, stop it. And so there's that thing with social media that I don't like, which is that kind of constant availability or like mm -hmm. perception of it. And just yes. being, you can be messaged constantly and you might, you might not be ready for it and you don't know that you're not until yeah. it's too late. And that's something that I definitely, on top of the echo chamber stuff, like I definitely mm. find it, it's the constant, because then it makes it difficult to stop working. Because like as, as drag queens, we use social media to get jobs. Like I wouldn't have half the jobs I have if it wasn't for really? it. No, same, same. Yeah. Like all my work comes through. Instagram. I was about to say, yeah, any of my work, to be honest. But yeah, so it's like, that's a tricky, a tricky thing to kind of make sure that you're, if you're using social media, you need to identify when you're using it for work and when you're using it for play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm like, I'm similarly, like, totally addicted to, to Instagram more than anything, really. I think it's just because I'm like a really visual person. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, like, there's just watching those and i think it's definitely that social dilemma thing is totally edited as kind of like a, a ooh, you know it's got that kind of like level of, of kind of editing around it where it's, it's definitely like a precautionary tale and it's filmed in such a way to make you go oh my god i'm never going on it again but like i think actually for every single person to just kind of learn their limits and learn how to deal with social connection in like a normal human way and actually there's nothing wrong with these platforms as long as you're aware of that on the other side of that is a shit ton of ads going give me your attention give me your attention give me your attention that's yes that's it. but as long as you're aware of that and you can use it you can use it how you would and have agency then what the fuck is wrong with it you know that, yeah. i i love i absolutely love what, so what I've started doing is fucking with the algorithm. So I'll just message someone randomly saying like, I don't know, I really fancy some Birkenstocks today. <laughs> and then like random, and then my newsfeed will just be plugged with loads of uh, things uh, to do with Birkenstocks or whatever. Not, sh not shitting on Birkenstocks. I said that because I'm looking at a pair of mine right now. Yeah. But, um, but like, I, I like fucking with the algorithm to the, remind myself that this is a, just a giant advert. Like the whole of social media is just an advert. It's yeah, just trying a bit of culture jamming. <laughs> yeah, and so I like I like kind of being, and also feel a bit like a hacker as well when I say yeah. stuff like that. And then I'm like, ha, 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 I fooled you again, robots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking with the matrix, bitches. Yeah. But then sometimes I do end up just buying something I don't fucking want then because they they're fucking good at their job. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. oh, Donna, 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 my darling. Uh, a little birdie tells me that, that you are working on a, on, a, on a solo show. Not to change the subject too too sharply or in any particular uh -oh. but like Oh, God. Do you want to tell us a little bit, like, a little bit about that? Um, yeah, well, it was something I, like, I've always wanted to try and do. Mm. Um, because I've seen so many kind of, like, drag performers do solo shows. Mm. And a lot of it is um, very kind of, like um they'll they'll talk a bit and they'll tell a story and then they'll do like a number about that story etc um and i was kind of like how can i do this in the way that i want to do it um and so i'm challenging myself to do a complete show where i so it'll be in two halves um, and i don't leave the stage for at any point during the halves and it is completely lip synced. Ooh. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So each half is going to be about 30, 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, and it's using a lot of the stuff that I've already got. Um, so basically the show's called Foundations. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, just a disclaimer, it is not a Kate Nash tribute show. <laughs> um, <laughs> so many people think it is um <laughs> and i was just like no it's not um but basically i kind of i got offered uh from the phoenix arts club in london they were like do you want to put on a show we're reaching out to artists um and this is 
this is the deal we're going to do with artists. And to be honest, it was a very good deal. I don't have to pay for any tech assistant or any staff. Um, and the majority of ticket sales goes directly to me, um, which I was like, okay, fabulous. Um, so I'm trying basically with this show, I'm still crafting it because it has to be, it has to be perfect. So I'm using a lot of different audio clips of like films and maybe TV programs mm. um, and doing that kind of thing of like maybe famous speeches or things that people think of, but changing the context that they're put in mm. um, to tell like, to tell basically the story of finding yourself and how, what builds up a person. Um, so there's like a section on love. There's a section on, um imagination there's going to be a section on um kind of um identity that kind of thing but trying to tell it in ways that people aren't used to mm. um and i think basically it's something that i want to kind of put it out there in my own way but the way i want to craft it is that people will take the messages of the performance and take those home with them as well. Yes. Because I think when you end up developing a solo show or any kind of material, you don't want to go into that wanky wanky. This is my autobiography. And this section's all about my trauma, that <laughs> kind of thing that you like. And I like, and sometimes people do really, really beautiful stuff by um, expressing their inner kind of like feelings and stuff. But I know that some people like to showboat things mm. a bit too much. Um, and I, I like, I want it to be more of a genuine kind of like a conversation um, with me and the audience, but the audience don't actually have to say anything because the answers will already be there for them. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds fab. Like, and, and I think the, drag has got such a platform now like that to, to be able to to have those conversations with audiences and actually what you're saying about kind of like telling telling a story in in a in a way which is 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 isn't too pretentious uh, around around your feeling around <laughs> autobiography um it, drag is like the per the perfect um, the perfect vehicle for that, I think, because it allows audiences in in a way where things see, seem on, on appearance, on surface, to, to be superficial. Uh, but it's got this yeah. way of taking things into a, into a into a, a, a deeper level, kind of through satire. I think that's why lip sync. I absolutely adore lip sync because it is this. Yeah, to, to me, like per, perfect lip sync is this way of kind of like almost it's like ghosting it's like bring it it's being a medium where you can kind of bring these voices of people and experiences that already exist and like live them in that moment and to me that is absolutely magical agreed i think um like using these other voices of people that have been heard in certain ways and transforming them into the story that you want to tell mm. and you think and also that you think needs to be told mm. um I think that's really important. And I think it's about challenging people's like belief beliefs of, of what they already have in their mind um, about things. And I think it's about challenging, like, because the one thing that I don't like, and I'm sure both of you would agree is that I don't like people putting me in a box and going, Oh, they're going to do that. Mm -hmm. They're going to do that. They always do that. And it's like, I mean, it depends if there's, if there's money in the box. <laughs> agreed <Yeah>. agreed and <laughs> um, like i think i think when i like if someone gives me a brief and they go we want you to do this and um, this is the amount of money etc if someone goes we'd like to book you for this event i'm like okay um and then if they like ask me what kind of material i'd be like I'm like what kind of material would you want from me and if they go whatever you feel comfortable with i i'm like okay i'm gonna have free reign on that um green light <laughs> yeah because and i think that's where a lot of people for me like a lot of my career has been um i was very very lucky to be given chances to be like a support act um for like for girls that have been on drag race or these tv programs that have given them a little bit more exposure um 
and ultimately going into those gigs you can't have like you have to face the like the mindset of these audience members haven't paid a ticket to see me they pay to see the other person mm. so you have to take that platform and kind of go do you know what they haven't they it's not that they don't want to see me it's that they don't know that they need to see me mm. and i think it's about having about having that like attack on it as kind of go you're going to watch me and you're going to enjoy it because <laughs> otherwise you can just go to the bar like for me it's like you if you're going to come and watch a performance you have to give me your full attention and not half ass it yeah. um and i like that's why i love all different i like to work with performers and performers that are going to give their 110 like give their all to it and you can see a passion in it rather than going oh i'm gonna go and do this song that's in the charts at the moment because loads of people scream when it comes on don't i look pretty <laughs> and that's it yeah i <laughs> like like don't get me wrong i love it when people look absolutely beautiful oh, same. like there's gotta be something underneath that hasn't there there's gotta be something yeah yeah there's gotta be there's gotta be surface there's, the, like surface is just like initial Mm -hmm. Then when you get put into the fact that people are going to start looking deeper and deeper into it, that's when like the truth will out yeah. as such. And I think um, there are so many artists that I think try and emulate other people's work. Mm. Um, and I think, I think it's great to have influences. I really do. Like we're all influenced from each other's art and we, that's, that's what it is. Nothing is ever completely original. We know that because it's influences from our environment, from uh, people that we talk to, people that we interact with, because they constantly leave artistic fingerprints on us and it makes us into that person that we are. Mm -hmm. But um, I think when people go, oh, I'm going to do it like this person because they got this reaction, you end up seeing this kind of facade that they're trying to put on. Sure. Um, and I think, I think every artist goes through that. Um, and it's about kind of, finding that self-discovery mm -hmm. and i think there's something in about the kind of that that way of learning particularly like when like when when you're a drag baby or or you're or you're you're just kind of working out what your what your artistic practice is that absolutely i think everybody starts from a position of kind of copying and and kind of seeing oh i i appreciate that let me see what that looks like on me or yes. see how that, and then, and then, and, but I think dragging itself is this kind of, and then once you do that, then you start to mutate it. So you kind of copy it and then you tweak it and then you go, okay, that works. That doesn't, that feels right in my body. I'm going to change this bit. I'm going to keep that. And then once you kind of, and then you start to approach something original, I think once you've kind of worked out that you can't just replicate what you see other people doing, because that is, that only works on their body and, you know, and, all, and, and each of them are, are, are unique. But I think yeah. in itself, I don't know what you think about this, Midgey, as well, is I think, I mean, we had a little conversation around this a couple of weeks ago at, at Kitchen Street, is that the... the that drag in itself is this kind of collage. Um, the whole idea, or it is to me anyway, that the concept of drag is that it is this kind of network of um, reference points and images and visuals and feelings that, that exist and kind of float around us all. And that we kind of operate like these kind of shamans that kind of embody those things and put them together in in new and interesting ways and kind of connect those dots up for people and go, by the way, have you thought about that? Look, I've connected the dots for you. Wink, wink. You know, like that's how I think drag, drag works. Yeah, to me anyway. I mean, so the way I kind of started out with drag or any kind of performance was kind of the opposite in that, opposite to that feeling of, oh, that they got that reaction when they did that. So I'll do it and see what happens. Cause I kind of, the most, the way I'm inspired the most is to be honest, when I, oh, gonna sound like a right bitch, but maybe I just am one. Um, I, when I see bad drag mm -hmm. and I kind of, and I love bad drag and my definition of bad drag might not fit in the same definition of other people's because I love messy clown drag as well. And some people decide that that's bad drag. But to me, bad drag is 
not but ugh, no no all drag is valid there's no such thing as bad drag but bad performances mm. are ones where like kind of what donna was talking about with the lip sync and with there's a lot of queens that i see when they choose a song to lip sync and it might be because it's in the charts or it might be because it's politically relevant or whatever um they just sing they just lip sync the song they don't the 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 thing with drag is that it's immediately visual and once it's immediate and so once we've got that out of the way there needs to be something else and if you're mm-hmm. and you're not go and so if you're going to lip sync a Shania Twain song for instance mm-hmm. you can't just lip sync it like you're going to be Shania Twain because you're not you're a drag queen so what else are you going to do and just because you're a drag queen for me that's not enough and a lot of shows that I've watched and a lot of performances I've watched I've seen not a lot but when I watch one I kind of go well, I wouldn't have done it like that. I think I would have done it like this. And so then I think, okay, well then why do I think that? And what is it that I don't like about that that I can then translate to something I do like? Or if I maybe, sometimes I actively want the audience to not really enjoy a, a section of what I do so that the next bit will work and be interesting or whatever. Mm. Like I love, it, I love a bad host. I'm obsessed with bad hosts. I love people who are terrified of hosting. I don't know what to do. I love uncharismatic hosts. They're like my favorite people. The dross you're doing really good job. And like, <laughs> they're, my they're my favorite people. I love them. And it's because there's just, and so when I go on stage and I, I'm about to speak or something, I just take ages and I, and I fumble and I, and I pretend that I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And then, you know, I'll sing a song or something. Because I, I, I'm really shit at lip syncing. I wish I was good at lip syncing because I love it. But I'm really, really shit at it. And the last time I think I lip synced was when I did Rolf Harris. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm sold already. <laughs> <laughs> and I did, a, I did a Rolf Harris song dressed as a schoolgirl. <laughs> it was awful. And, um, and, I, and I wasn't very good at it because I just... Well, maybe it was just Rolf Harris, I don't know. But I, it was, I just, I, I can't get the rhythm right and I'm thinking too much about other things. Whereas for me, I, my kind of nature of performing is very anti-performance. Mm, yeah. um, I really do take advantage of, um, of that. And so trying to translate that on to virtual stuff was really fucking difficult. I think I'm starting oh. to work it out, but it's really difficult. Because mm, mm. a lot of my kind of drag is about the second there's a bit of smoke or if it's when it's with smoke and mirrors, the second there is um, a prop hidden, I will tell the audience members that there is a prop under there and I'm going to get it out later or that I might, or I might not, or I'll put mm. something on a stage that's completely irrelevant. Yes. Or I will ask the stage hand to, or stage manager to come and get something for me and I'll take the piss and, take ages and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm very obsessed with removing smoke and mirrors whilst performing. Yeah. And I think that's where I, what I learned from, and I think that's what I learned from watching certain drag shows or performances where there would be a technical fuck up because obviously there just always is. And it's mm. how you deal with that. And I think a lot of performers when they aren't totally comfortable in their own drag and it's not fully formed and it's not fully defined for them, it really throws them off. Yeah, and, I, so, I, I yeah. hear that 100%. I, um, I don't know if, if, you, if you remember it, Majit, when we did the, the God Save the Queers thing. Oh, <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. And, and they did uh, what was intended to be this beautifully kind of moving multimedia work using Sylvia Rivera's very famous um, Y'all Better Quiet Down speech. Yeah. Um, with kind of this overlaid kind of projection over the top of it and it started walk out on stage and there I'm ready to roll and then as it because it, yeah it and then the projection kind of just froze over the top of me and actually turned into like the window loading screen and I'm kind of like <laughs> on stage dragged as, as the windows reel of death kind of just kind of stood there and yeah. And and that was that was really early on in kind of like my me kind of kind of finding my feet in my drag in terms of like and, and when what you're saying there about it kind of putting people off because actually now that would be absolutely fine because that in itself is fucking hilarious. And actually Ooh. being able to 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 ride that wave 
I think is something that you that we all kind of need to, to learn how to do in drag, I guess. But it yeah. just really struck struck a chord for me, kind of like, yeah, that was that moment for me. There it is. And now I know how to how to deal with that. But um, I just think when there's like a technical fuck up or anything. Uh, or when you do remove any kind of smoke or mirror, whether you choose to or not, because a lot of my work is about agency. So it's like, if there's if there's going to be a risk of a smoke or mirror being fucked up, then I'm going to be responsible for it and no one else. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, when, oh God, that show, like every single thing that could fuck up just did. It was, but it's still a great show, but Jesus yeah. Christ, I remember everyone's getting terrified to go on stage being like how's it gonna fuck up for me <laughs> <laughs> what else have we got in store for you <laughs> yeah. but um but um oh fuck technical fuck up what was i talking yeah. about oh but yeah so i think there's a thing where it highlights the absolute ridiculousness of what's going on in front of you mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. sometimes when there's a fuck up and you're like what am I wearing in front of all these people? Like, why am I here? This is yeah. why are you here? You paid to see this? <laughs> Donna, have you ever had like a moment like that where you've had something go so horrendously wrong on stage or, or like then you've, what, how have you dealt with it? Um, I, so there was once when I was doing um, my Dodo act yeah. and um, basically the Dodo prosthetic is a two piece. And so there's a top part and a bottom part. Mm. And during the lip sync, the bottom part just fell off. No. <laughs> so, we did, so we didn't look too bizarre, but it was just like <laughs> the bottom part of my beak fell off. And I was no. just like, there was a moment where I was like just staring at the at my like fake jaw on the stage <laughs> while stressed while stressed as a dodo in their Emirates uniform. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, okay. And then like the end of the routine, it's like it's kind of a bit of a dark uh, like ending. It's like so the dodo gets told that she can't fly constantly so she becomes an air hostess and by the end like there's an announcement on the tunnel it's like just remember dodos can't fly so the airplane crashes um <laughs> and so the air so the airplane's like crashing and she's screaming <laughs> like, so i'm like screaming picking up this bottom piece of my jaw and trying to stick it back on while i'm screaming <laughs> and then waving it um and i just think when you embrace those kind of things that do go wrong because let's be honest when something like physically and visually goes wrong a lot of the time well 99% of the time the audience know they like they go oh that went wrong oh no that's happening yeah (laughs) and you know and like it's like you don't like take that because I've been I've been in the audience and I've sometimes felt like that but with me I don't focus on that I kind of focus on okay they kind of feel a little bit sorry for me because this has gone wrong. How can I turn this round for them to be celebratory of this? And I think that's what, I think that's the sign of like a true professional artist is that you're taking those, those faults and those, and turning them into successes. And Mm. and like, because you are in charge of how that picture is painted and you are in charge of the layers and the meanings that they take from that. Mm. And then, and there's like there's times when I've had like pieces of work that have been shown in performance, and like I've ha- I've I've had someone come up to me and go, I didn't like that, and I'm like, okay, why didn't you like it? And I, I like I kind of love to have those conversations with people where they like genuinely don't like my work or they didn't like it, and when we get talking about it, I give them like more content, like, oh, okay, I didn't really understand that, and like, why didn't you understand that? Because Otherwise, you don't grow as an artist if you're not knowing these things that you're intending to put across. Yeah. And as long as as long as your intentions are there, whether they're like spontaneous because a mistake has happened, or something that you've planned meticulously to certain beats and certain timings, like you have to kind of take both sides of that coin. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that thing about however you approach it, whether it is kind of um we're kind of utilizing that smoke and mirror or kind of thinking mm-hmm. out that the whole thing is fake anyway i think that you you have to have agency over it don't you that that's at the heart of it completely um yeah and then for me i think i i think because it goes with the name i think i like to kind of like 
amp up the 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 fabrication of the thing to such a degree that it kind of points itself out to be fake <laughs> if you know what i mean mm. so it's not about kind of going there's a there's a there's a problem under there and, and doing it in that way but kind of like pushing it to such a level of pretense that it's so obviously not true so look mm. for something else that's or, or at least that's what i try to do anyway it might fail completely but I think well, I, definitely, I, I was about to say when when things are fucked up for you as a performer i've seen you kind of be more and more like just like I and you and I've seen you also give warning to like stage managers and stuff like that, being like, I'm going to be a cunt to you in a minute. Yeah. And like you kind of do this thing. Like, you are very like, okay, well, could this just work, please? Uh, I've yeah. really on this, and I've spent a lot of time, and like you do really ham it up, which works. I really like that. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, we're kind of um, getting towards the end of the show, I think, guys. It's been amazing mm. chatting. I've just got one more question to ask. Uh, each of you before okay. we say goodbye. Uh, one more question and then a request. So two things really. Um, firstly, so the name of the show could have made some real art. But for me, it was um, a moment when I got some anonymous audience feedback from a gallery exhibition that I did as part of my PhD. And it said in this, in this box, someone had written, what a load of pretentious dross could have made some real art. Um, and at the time, really fucking hurt me. Absolutely hated it. And now my whole kind of drag aesthetic has come from kind of reclaiming that shit that someone has given to me. Um, so for each of you, I wanted to ask, as uh, what has been the most interesting piece of feedback that you've ever received from an audience member, be they written, an email, a DM on your Instagram, or someone at a show that has kind of affected the way in which you present your drag, um, may positively, negatively, however. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I'm just thinking of, I'm thinking of one comment that stuck out to me, and it was during a show in, in London, and this woman came up to me. It's like it wasn't even anonymous. She literally came up to me and went, "I think it's a disgrace, and Princess Diana will be turning in a grave after that." <laughs> And I was just like, I was like, good. At least the dead are hearing what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Intention picked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just a bit like, because um, because it was it was basically a routine, like making t like really tongue in cheek, a little bit of kind of like controversial commentary on uh, Princess Diana and the way that the media exploited her and like um and how um the royal family might have killed her um i say might because obviously <laughs> the investigation is obviously still pending um <laughs> but um this woman was so outraged at me like making a mix about car crashes and then going into icona pops um i crashed my car into the bridge yeah. i have to let it burn and then I had a load of strobe lighting and like I decided to like kind of like pretend to take like semi-nudes um for the paparazzi, etc. And I was just um and she was just like she'd be turning in a grave and I was like, good. I mean <laughs> if you're offended by that, you're at the wrong show, aren't you really? Maybe drags. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was like, my name is Donna Trump. Like, oh. even if you don't get the fart joke because everyone should be able to laugh at a fart joke, no matter how bad it is, or yeah. how disgusting it is. Like, there's some kind of humour there. Um, yeah. But you should even know that, I like, people think I'm named after the most evil president, probably, in the modern age, so... So have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how about you, Mijit? Um, So I've... I've had a few, I've had a couple of walkouts when I've played midget porn, which always makes me laugh. Um, but probably would be when I performed at a theatre in Liverpool. I'm going to not disclose the name. I'm not, I don't know, I'm scared of getting sued. That's another thing is when you become more successful as an artist, you're constantly living in fear of being sued. Fucking <laughs> 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 <A> nightmare. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and so I was performing a monologue that I 
regularly do about how much I I don't hate Warwick Davis but I have this 20 to 30 getting longer by the day but like 30 minute monologue about Warwick Davis and how the decisions as a dwarf actor that he has made have had an impact on me as a dwarf just in general and how I hate him for it and it's very absurdist and ridiculous and funny um but I kind of use a lot of language that has been used against me as a dwarf against him and the artistic director said I mean some of the lines in it are really dark like one of them's I hope your wife I imagine your wife trying to euthanize you in your sleep and by clutching the pipe of your sleep apnea machine but her midget hands are too weak or something and like another like last line is I hope your life expectancy is as short as you are which doesn't actually make any sense really when you think about it but he was saying, the artistic director asked me not to perform it or to censor it because he thought it could be seen as hate crime and that they could get sued and all of this. And that was like a week before I was supposed to be performing it. And it, it kind of really upset me because I was thinking, God, have I become really spiteful? Like, is that, is that who I am? I'm not, I don't think I am, but he's kind of saying that I'm being really a bit much. And then I thought about the fact that he is a non-disabled white cis straight man asking me to do this and I was like mm, I've never listened to you before your kind so I don't think I'm going to listen to you now and I told him that I would do like a disclaimer at the beginning mm. um, but I just went ahead and did it and I didn't do a disclaimer and I just did it and then I got an email from him afterwards saying um that it was amazing and I was like yeah it fucking was shut the fuck up next time <laughs> amazing and i just want to say i'm really glad this isn't in person because i just like sniffed my armpit and it's fucking fresh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that's what's kind of fun about being called Mijit and being in my like nightgown and stinking of bo and like wearing a headband and just not in any way being Mijit whatsoever <laughs> that's not what Mijit wears anyway like <laughs> actually she's pretty low maintenance <laughs> <laughs> for me i like no matter what i'm wearing i'm always farting all over the place anyway so trump's yeah. all around really <laughs> <laughs> well folks um i think that's all that's all for today um so i have one one last little request from each of you before we go um so there's going to be a, a spotify playlist where i ask each of our special guests of which you two are the first to um to add a track um that people can listen to which is like the thing that you're listening most to at the moment maybe it's an artist that you that you've just discovered or something that was always on repeat for you so majit what, what's your track what have you got for us well, I couldn't decide between doing a really stupid one to make people have to listen to something really shit, but <laughs> I decided against that. But the song, so the song I'm listening, I can't, my friend has seen, my friend sees me, my, you know when people can see what you're listening to on Spotify, like mm -hmm. if you have a Facebook connected to it or something. And my friend will send me a video whenever I'm listening to this song because I'm constantly fucking listening to it. And it is Sunny by Boney M. And I just... Turn <sighs> it! Like I just can't. Turn <laughs> it! Yeah, it's just, and so I want to, and and I'm listening to it. I think because we're entering into a new season, which tends to just make everyone really depressed, myself included. So I'm like mm. this song, kind of hoping that it will just make me uh, think that uh, creating a sense of delusion to get me yeah. through this winter, basically. <laughs> um, but it's just also a fucking bop. Um, yeah. I love Boney because he's really crazy, insane, mad, weird, and uh, I, I relate to that. So, yeah. <laughs> Amazing choice. Amazing choice. Thank you. <laughs> um, Donna, how about you? What's what's your track? Um, one of the, basically, I'm going to give you the, my most listened to track whilst I've been developing this show. Um, and it is... Um, an absolute bop, in my opinion. Um, and it is Cartoon Heroes by Aqua. Yes. <laughs> I know the one. Um, um, which will be featured in my show, so... <laughs> Love it. Plug, plug, plug. <laughs> amazing, amazing stuff. 
Oh, thank you both so much for being part of this first episode. Is there, would you both like to plug your social accounts or whenever, wherever people can find you online, where can they find you? Oh yeah, I guess we've got to do that, haven't we? Um, <laughs> I'm Mujit Bardot, spelt M-I-D-G-I-T-T-E, and then Bardot, like um, bar and then dot. Um, yeah, that's, that's, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, but I don't use it. Sometimes I uh, tweet about how horny I am and then arts organisations tend to like be a bit confused by what's going on because they really love it. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm on Facebook, but that's just as Tammy. And if you add me, I'm not going to accept you. So you can try. Uh, <laughs> unless you're really fit and queer, I might. <laughs> You've heard it here, folks. Fit and queer. <laughs> Get on to Tammy's Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Donna? Where can we find you? Um, you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at the handle at Donna Trump UK because I have to specify that I live in the UK um, <laughs> because somebody already took Donna Trump and Donna Trump drag for some strange reason. Oh. Um, and then I'm sure you'll be able to find me on some kind of street corner uh, begging for dip. So, you know. <laughs> selling your wares, selling your wares. <laughs> selling me wares, yeah. <laughs> oh thank you so much both of you it's been fab tune in soon um wherever you find your your podcast wherever you find your podling essence that's where we'll be um and yes um and episode two will be coming soon also oh my god the phone's ringing in the background just wait for this to go and oh my god you have a landline what the fuck landline i know jesus how middle class yeah she's a real adult yeah (laughs) amazing (laughs) in fact let's just leave the ringtone in it's funny it's just okay thank you people all right have a lovely day